0: Uh, my name is Matt. If you don't know me, very warm welcome to you. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn to the book of Revelation, which is near, near the back, uh, the last book of the Bible, we've been uh, working through this, uh, through this book, um, uh, well, through the, 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 what are known as the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. So we're at church number 5 this week I think it is church number five at the start of Revelation chapter three so i will read that passage to you in a moment or two I'm sure you guys have all seen in the news this week about the climate conference that has been taking place in Glasgow in Scotland and there's been lots of you know lots of debate lots of talk about that whatever you may think about it uh, lots of Greta on the news and world leaders all flying in on their private jets, which seems perhaps slightly hypocritical. But when this whole subject of the climate, it's not going to be the topic of my message today, but the subject of the climate and what to do about it, the language that gets used is increasingly inflammatory and scary and uh, hyperbolic language is used more and more about the emergency the catastrophe that humanity faces and you can either be left feeling well I guess there's probably three responses you might be stirred to action I think most people probably end up feeling either incredibly anxious and worried and concerned or incredibly cynical and critical of the movement and some of the language around it but we're called to all the time to, to wake up to this emergency. Wake up to the biggest issue facing our lives, facing our planet, facing humanity. And whatever you may think about it, it does very much appear to be an important, startling issue. But what we're going to read today, what I'm going to read to you in a moment, is actually a, more, a much more important wake-up call So let's get into what Jesus has to say to us today. This is Jesus writing each one of these letters. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God remember then what you received and heard keep it and repent if you will not wake up I'll come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they'll walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus, we want to take these words of yours to this, this church written 2,000 years ago, which speak very much to us today. We want to take these words seriously. We want to let them uh, unlock and unravel our hearts today. And we want to hear your voice speaking to us we want to hear your wake-up call to our hearts. And I pray anything within us today, this morning, that is dead, that's asleep, we pray you'd wake us out of your, out of our slumber into your glorious life. And pray, Holy Spirit, you'd just be working in each of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, has been writing each, each of these letters with different warnings and cautions and encouragements to these different churches. And to this church here, he uses really startling language. He says to them that they're, they're dead. He then goes on to say that they need to wake up, which seems as though Jesus is mixing his metaphors a little bit there. How can you be woken up if you are dead? And he is using kind of metaphorical language to speak to us, but why does Jesus use what you might describe as harsh language or startling language? Why does Jesus talk so directly with this church? What's he trying to say to them? What's he trying to say to us? Well, Jesus, Jesus he wants our, our hearts. Jesus doesn't want our, our sort of surface He doesn't want just nice words from us. Jesus wants his love, his message to penetrate right deep within us, to our very core, to our very center. And Jesus also knows that as believers, if you're a follower of Jesus here, we often face... I guess two different types of danger in the world. And he's been talking about one of them in the previous letters. He's been addressing the problem of idolatry, which we've been talking about over the previous weeks. And he talks about this a bit more in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. He talks about how there some, some seed falls on sort of shallow ground and the seed goes in and it springs up immediately but then the sun scorches it and it withers and dies straight away sometimes in our in our christian life it can feel like that that we just the, the scorching power of sin in our life can just cause us to wither can cause things in our life to close up and to die very quickly but what this letter to this church about is actually a completely different problem where he's written to these other churches and warned them about different cults that are trying to lead them astray different false teaching that's come to them different idolatry and sin and temptation which has led them astray to this church there's something gradual that's happened a decay has happened that little by little over time something has just slowly faded away in their hearts in the life of this church which again Jesus talks about that in the parable of the sower that some seed falls on ground and it grows but then the cares of life just choke it and just little by little it can't get any air can't get any sunlight the seeds, the plants just begin to die away and that's, that seems to be the situation of this church here in this city of Sardis which was in what we would now know as modern day Turkey that something about their faith was once strong but has, has got to the point where Jesus looks at it and says, wake up, you're about to die something tragically wrong has happened here so the question for these people, but the question for us, which is important, is how do we, how do we know if this, is, if this has happened to us? What can we learn from this passage about what happens when we can fall asleep? How do we know if we've fallen asleep? First of all, one way you could perhaps diagnose that in your own life would be if you've become obsessed with your, with your image Obsessed with your reputation, obsessed with your name, with your fame. Jesus says to them here, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Obviously, this church was had a reputation, a positive, a good reputation, that they were well known, that they were well loved by people for some reason that the passage doesn't tell us. But Jesus says, I know your works. He sees the real them. He sees the real you. He sees behind the veneer, behind the surface. He sees into our hearts. He sees what we're really like. And we live in an age which is increasingly obsessed by image. We live in a world of social media which can lead us to this obsession with ourselves and what we look like of our appearance of what people think of us, and often all that social media does is it it leaves us leaving jealous, feeling jealous of of others as we flick through the posts, the stories, the reels, the tweets, whatever it is we 're led to find a jealousy with other people with other people 's lives. My kids the other day were watching this thing on. YouTube where this couple they they have this YouTube channel where they release videos and they just they just go on holiday and there's these little 10 minute videos of them on holiday and they're always on holiday I don't quite know how they do it every video is them on holiday and they're always in the most exotic places and they're always having the best time And they just look full of life and everything. Everything is amazing. You know, the the, the, the lady, every time she eats food, she cries because it's so good. (laughs) It's so over the top. And I was trying to explain to my daughters how... I was trying not to be cynical, but really, I just couldn't keep it in. I was trying to explain to them how that's not real life. That they've produced, you know, an eight, ten minute video encompassing, you know, a week-long holiday... And they've shown you the good bits, the glory bits. I'm like, I've been on holiday, I know what it's like. I know what it's like when you lie on the beach for too long and then the next day you can't even put on a t-shirt because you're so sunburnt. you know that feeling? Just red like a lobster and everything, you can't just move because everything aches. I know what it's like. I know what it's like when you're suddenly, you know, you've been doing life sort of together but sort of apart for a while where you're both going off to your different jobs doing different things and then suddenly you've got a week And you've got to remember how to relate to one another again. And you squabble and you bicker and it takes time to kind of figure out that you actually do love each other still. Holidays can often feel like that. They're not all glamour and glory. But you can watch these videos, you can see social media, you can see other people's image, and you become very jealous. But perhaps the greater problem is we can almost become jealous of our own image... The the, the image that we portray of ourselves online, the life we want other people to see of us, and then we slowly begin to realize that what we're displaying about ourselves isn't true, or it's a half-truth, it's an almost-truth. We can become jealous of the life that we would like to lead or the life we're telling other people that we lead, and we become so obsessed with it, it can begin to rot us within Perhaps our image, our reputation, our name becomes more important than our identity in Christ. That seems to be what's happened to this church here. Another way you can know that you've fallen asleep and you need waking up is you can live with a sort of a, a, a compartmentalised faith. Some kind of faith which is, is incomplete Jesus says to them, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. (laughs) It's a big statement to make. It's a challenge to each of us. Now we all know that we can't be perfect as God is perfect. It's just, we all know we stumble and fall and Jesus knows that too he knows what we're like but what Jesus wants is he wants a pursuit of him in totality of our life by that I mean it can be so easy to live as though well, I'm a Christian on Sunday or Wednesday evening or whatever time suits me but this part of my life this is, this is somehow separate Jesus doesn't get this bit He gets the other bits. He gets these bits. He doesn't get that bit. And we can begin to keep things back for ourselves. We can believe that we can manage that part of my life better than God can. I can't give that part of my life to him because he's not able to deliver for me on this part. That's how we can begin to think in our hearts, that we need to govern it and own it all ourselves. A friend of mine reminded me of a, a quote this week of a, a missionary called Jim Elliott who went to, was to reach a tribe in South America about 60 or 70 years ago. He was martyred for his faith. And he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose let me read that again he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose in Jesus there's so much to gain that you can never lose and there are so many cares of life around us that entice us and try and promise us so much but we can't keep them. They'll die with us. But there's so much to gain in Jesus. Another way that we can know that we're asleep and we need waking up is that perhaps we've, we've given up on pursuing any purity in our life. Jesus says to them in verse 4, Yet yeah, you still have a few names in Sardis, People who have not soiled their garments. That's that's direct language and Jesus is not pulling his punches. People who have not soiled their garments. Obviously the implication being that some of them had spiritually seeking soiled their garments. They'd given up on pursuing any purity in their life with Jesus. That slowly life had sort of choked them and they'd become just riddled with compromise that they weren't, as Paul writes they weren't living a life worthy of his calling anymore I don't know if you've ever owned a pet you know a cat or a guinea pig or something and actually we own a guinea pig we did own two guinea pigs that were given to us by the former Ajax player Dennis Romadal. so there you go if you've ever heard of Dennis Romadal, I have his guinea pigs and one of them died and we only have one left now, and the one that died in the, in the final days of its life you might have observed this if you 've had a pet they, they stop taking care of themselves. You know they stop licking themselves and cleaning themselves, they stop eating properly, and they just become like a sort of dirty ball of fluff, basically, until they' finally expire. sorry that 's a pretty bleak way of saying it, but in a sense, we can begin to live like that spiritually speaking we stop taking care of ourselves we give up on pursuing Jesus in our life that we become a Christian in name only and we don't see it in ourselves but we, we begin to reflect that in our life we begin to become dirty and soiled and we need Jesus to come and clean us up now there is another danger for us and that might be that as a Christian you've never really felt you don't really feel the need to wake up because you've, perhaps you've never really known what it is to be awake in that sense But being a Christian has always felt hard work and a, a bit bland or maybe, maybe being a Christian has never really affected your life and that might be because some people they make a commitment to Jesus and they never really grow in him you're like an empty building site The planning permission has been granted, but they've just cleared the land and nothing has been built on top. Well, our our encouragement to you today would be to invite him in to your life. Perhaps you're here and you don't know Jesus at all. Perhaps you've never made that commitment. Well, to become a Christian is to move from death to life. And it is a wonderful life to know Jesus. Let him come and build on that building site in your life. Or perhaps it might be that you've, you've actually become so asleep, so kind of lost in your decay that just, you were once awake, you once had a vibrant spiritual life, a walk with God that gave you joy and fulfillment. But you can't really remember that anymore because it just feels so distant to you. I know what it's like to be a parent with young children and you just you forget what it's like to no sleep it just becomes did did that happen was there a time in my life when I slept I remember once driving on a a motorway a Snellweg in in England and they have these signs that come up across the road and it said feeling tired take a break in a rest stop in two miles and I thought I I've been feeling tired for seven years. <laughs> can, I, can I just pull off and just drop off my children and then carry on? That might wake me up. And you can feel like that. You can feel like that as a Christian, that you've been asleep for so long. You've forgotten what it, what it was like to be alive, to be awake. So how do we wake up? Or more to the point, to use Jesus' mixed metaphors... How do you wake up a dead person? How does that happen? Well, a couple of pointers to help us. First of all, as this passage tells us, to remember. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. See, so often it's past acts that shape our present. Things that have happened in your past that shape who you are today. Things that have been spoken over you. Things that people have said about you that shape who you are. Qualifications you've received or qualifications that you didn't receive. The promotion that you didn't get. The rejection that you received. All those different things in life can shape who you are and how you respond. And that's true in the kingdom of God as well. That Jesus calls us to remember his grace for us remember his love for us that's that's the message that jesus wants them to remember he's saying to this church remember what you were taught remember what you once heard remember what you received that the gospel of jesus christ came to you remember it keep it build your life upon it we can let our lives be shaped by Not necessarily just negative things, but a whole range of negativity or positivity that's come into our life. And being a Christian isn't just sort of filling yourself up with positivity, but it's filling yourself up in Jesus. Remembering that he loves you, that he's for you, that he's won you, that he's paid a price for you to know him, to enjoy him. Let your life be shaped by that wonderful truth of what Jesus has done for you. Secondly, Jesus calls us here robustly and directly, again and again, to a life of pursuing holiness. But we have to remember that in the order of salvation, holiness always follows from, from grace, that the grace of God comes first, that the grace of God comes to us and the Bible calls us again and again to pursue a life worthy of the calling we have, to follow him. To be a Christian doesn't mean, well, I'm saved so I just can just sit and do what I want, but we want to live lives of devotion to Jesus which always flows on from his grace because the, the, the reality is, how do we wake up? How do we wake up what's dead inside of us well you can't you need Jesus to do that Jesus starts in verse 1 he says to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars the seven stars refer to the seven different churches he's writing to the seven spirits of God refers to the Holy Spirit and he's saying he's saying "I, I have you he has these churches in his hand he's holding them and he has the spirit of God the Holy Spirit that he wants to send upon us see it's, it's his voice that comes to us and says wake up so if you're feeling that, that tug on your heart this morning of yeah I, I do want to live for Jesus I, I, I know there are things I need to repent of I, I, I do want to pursue holiness in my life That's Jesus calling you. That's his voice speaking to you. It's him directing you into the way he wants you to follow back into his life. And not only does Jesus' words wake us up, but it's his power that changes us. Jesus doesn't say, wake up, now go go and get on with it. I've I've woken you up, now work harder, try harder, do more just just force yourself into some kind of holiness it's Jesus' power that comes and changes us let me read a couple of verses that will help us to understand this this is again Jesus' words in John chapter 6 he says it is the spirit who gives life the flesh is no help at all By the flesh, he means our kind of our bodily self, not just our physical being, but our kind of sinful desires and motives, everything within us. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. See, it's the the Holy Spirit ministered through this book that gives life, it brings change, it enables you to follow Him. Grow in him. He goes on to say in John 14, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus has sent us this Helper, this Teacher, this Reminder it's what the Holy Spirit does he comes and reminds us of gospel truth he comes and reminds us again and again of not only who Jesus is but how Jesus wants to keep growing you and changing you enabling you and equipping you see without God we can do nothing in the kingdom of God to serve him we can do nothing without him but with His power within us, with His strength in us, then that's when we begin to change and begin to follow Him. And sometimes in your life, it will feel like a it will feel like an acceleration. you like Jesus speaks here. You'll suddenly feel like you've woken up to something. You'll repent, and your life will suddenly look different. And other times, it's it's more it's a journey it's a little by little it's a, a process and you're not really aware of it but suddenly you look back months or years later and you think oh that's what god was doing in my life elsewhere in in, in some of jesus parables he talks about the kingdom of god being like a a mustard seed just a tiny seed that gets planted in it grows to be this tree that brings life and shelter or just a little bit of leaven in a bread that suddenly brings life to it i don't know if you've seen it where like where there's been like some a pavement or a street where a tree has grown through and all the concrete all the paving slabs are all kind of ripped around it as this massive trunk of tree has grown up it's just completely disturbed everything around it. But obviously that's taken years, decades, for that to happen. And that's so often how the work of God is in our life. It starts small and tiny, but it will grow. And you'll look back over time and you think, yeah, that thing's different now. I'm different now. I think differently. I act differently. You know, I'm, I'm not perfect in any way. But that thing is no longer an issue in my life. Or how I react to circumstances, I feel more peaceful, more love. Something's changed within me and God will do that little by little if you invite him into your life. And finally, what do we we wake up to? Verse 5 leaves us with some wonderful promises. It says, first of all, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. See, Jesus exchanges our soiled garments with his white garments, like how a, a bride is dressed on her wedding day. That's how Jesus talks about the church. He goes on at the end of Revelation, to give us this beautiful picture of this wedding supper of the Lamb that he calls his church, the Bride of Christ." and he's dressed us in this beautiful white garments, this white dress and that's that's what it is to to know Jesus that's what it is to to when you when you take that decision to repent and say Jesus I'm going to follow you it's not like he sort of takes our soil glance and then sort of just slowly little by little cleans them up he Gives us a completely new outfit. Now, he does work slowly and slowly in our hearts to change us, to help us become more like him. But in how the Father sees you today, he sees you as holy, as made righteous, as dressed in white, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. We get to be dressed in these beautiful white garments he then goes on to say I'll never blot his name out of the book of life where at the start of this letter Jesus has said to them that "You're, you're dead and you need waking up we go from being dead to our names being written in the book of life and these are words of assurance they could be words that leave us to worry and think does this mean that some people's names can be blotted out kind of wiped out of the book of life what's that about well, if we read elsewhere, the Bible refers to this book of life a few times. It says elsewhere in Revelation that our names were written in it before the foundation of the world. That's remarkable that to think that before God made Jupiter, he chose you. Isn't that incredible? Before all of creation was born and birthed. Before Genesis chapter 1, he chose you. He wrote your name in this book. And when he says, that I'll never blot his name out, he means it. Now, there are some people that they, they, you can't lose your salvation. But the Bible does seem to suggest that there are some people, though. Masquerading as, as Christians and Jesus will say I never knew you you never really were a follower of me and if that's a question that's buzzing around your heart at the moment well that's probably a good thing or it is a good thing There's, there can be a stubborn refusal that, that kicks in of, a, I'm not going to change because all that Jesus asks us to do in these letters again and again and again for us to be the one who conquers that phrase he repeats again and again and again in each letter all we need to do is repent <laughs> is repent we don't need to show us perf- him performance we don't need to show this kind of well here's all these years of service I've given you he just says just come to me the last letter will come to in a few weeks Jesus says he's, he's waiting at the door for us just to open and let him in. See, what Jesus is looking for in our life is just a restlessness for recovery. It might be you're sitting here thinking, yeah, my, I feel like my, my garments are soiled. Uh, I've just so much in my life just feels broken and I know I've not been following Jesus. And, but even that awareness in your heart, that restlessness for a recovery in him is proof that he's at work in your life proof that his, your name is written in his book before the foundation of the world and finally Jesus says that I will confess his name before my father and before his angels that's amazing <laughs> to think of that he's deliberately pointing to the fact that he said to him you have the reputation you've created the name of being alive but you're dead but jesus says come to me and i'll confess your name before the father for each one of us jesus has confessed our name before the father because of his astounding grace for us his love that's come for us and that's that's the reputation that I want to pursue that's the name that's the identity I want to build my life upon that name that Jesus has confessed before our father in heaven not any reputation I can build here on earth I'm just going to Dan's going to lead us in communion in a moment and the band will lead us in song but I just want to take a moment and just invite the Holy Spirit to come so why don't you just if you're comfortable to do it just stand to your feet you don't have to you can stay seated if you prefer and sometimes it's helpful just to open up your hands to God it's not there's nothing magical in doing it but it's just a kind of an outward sign of the openness in your heart let me read that passage from John 6 again it is the spirit who gives life the flesh is no help at all the words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. And in John 14. The help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Jesus, we just want to invite you right now just to send your Holy Spirit into our lives. Jesus, we just want to say that we know that in so many different ways we can feel like we've just fallen short, that we've become uh, obsessed with our own reputation or perhaps we've just compartmentalized our faith or We've just given up in any pursuit of you, really. We've just become sort of spiritually flabby and we've decayed. We thank you, Jesus, that your spirit breathes life. And the message we don't want to leave today is I need to go and I want to try harder, but the message today is I need Jesus. I need his spirit and his power to come and help. And the, 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 the primary, the first way you do that is you just, Holy Spirit, you come and you remind us of Jesus' astounding love for us. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you just do that right now. Come and just remind, remember to our hearts your goodness, your grace, and then enable us by your power to follow you. With all the stumbles and the hiccups and the trips, let us be restless in our hearts for a recovery. Restless in our hearts for more of you. We just pray, Holy Spirit, you just minister your goodness to us right now. Come fill us again. Equip us for the task you have for us. Amen.
1: So God's presence is here and I don't want to distract us from what he is doing. We're going to Spend ten minutes kind of taking communion and, and singing worship songs and these are just brilliant ways to do what Matt's encouraged us to do, to repent and to remember. And in this uh little communion cup that you'll find, there's two bowls at the front and two at the back. Um you'll find a bit of juice and a sort of wafer thing. And this represents what Jesus has done for us, that his body was broken on the cross out of love for us, that his blood was spilled for us so we can have the the blood of the new covenant, which means the Holy Spirit can come, that we can receive his love and his empowering and we can live changed. And I'd encourage you, as you uh, grab one of these, maybe this might be your first time of repenting and remembering. And just in your heart say, you know, Jesus, I was dead and I want to be alive. Maybe some of us are here saying, uh, okay, I thought I was alive, but I want to be even more alive. It's the same thing. We're all kind of on a journey of becoming fully alive in him, fully like him. And it's empowered by his spirit. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this cup we thank you for this body that was broken for each one of us out of your love for us your desire that we might wake up and come to be clothed in white come to have our names kind of spoken out in heaven before the father that we'd kind of have uh, the, almost the ultimate re- reputation in front of the one who matters Jesus we we love you And just I pray that you would, your spirit would continue uh, to work in our hearts and our lives. Thank you for what you've done.